Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, beautiful people. Today we are talking to my lovely, amazing friend, Morgan Day Cecil. I think Morgan is the perfect antithesis to what we've heard in church culture about a woman's role. So could you maybe just explain how you would tell a woman that's uncomfortable with your ministry, why she should be or could be or is allowed to be comfortable even considering these ideas that you're presenting? Yeah, and I think what may help is just to give a little context of my story and how I came to knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and and really feeling like I belonged to him because I didn't grow up in the church. And the perspective I have on the kingdom and the good news, the gospel is really different than, let's say, my husband who did grow up in the church and went to church like three times a week. And so my way into this beautiful faith came through a very roundabout path that included Um, having a guru, an Indian guru who taught me how to meditate. And so it was through this path of contemplation and introspection and meditation that I really gained these tools to be able to hear my own voice and, and, and really hear the voice of the spirit. And so to back up even further, like I said, I didn't grow up in the church but I always like loved God. Like I felt like the magic of the sacredness of all things. And um, I, I just loved being a human being. I just thought the world was a magical place in a lot of ways. Like just when I was alone, like I'm looking at a little picture of myself. Like I think I was in second grade and I keep her nearby because I want to remember that inner little girl because she had um, a lot of magic to her. And so when I look at her, I see this like possibility and she was just like ready for it. She could not wait to be grown up woman and to like go after her dreams and to experience it all. But somewhere along the way, uh, she was completely shut down and she became divided. And so this world of sacredness and closeness to God um, and the magic of being a human being, being a little girl, going into being a woman, uh, became like very separate from her experience out there at say in around the family dinner table or in school or out there in the world. So it was an experience of some part of me that feels very real and alive and close to God isn't necessarily uh, received or seen, doesn't really belong. It's almost dangerous out there in the world of other people. And so I kind of became this like split person, split little, split little one. And the trauma that I experienced in growing up around sexual abuse and spiritual abuse was a part of that. Um, But there was always a sense deep, deep within me of the good, the beauty and the truth of the world. So I was really interested in learning all that I could about, um, what it meant to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be the most alive human being and who God was. But I went through the door of philosophy because I didn't feel like I belonged in the church. There wasn't a place for me to belong. And in fact, I like was looking on the outside and felt very disqualified from that institution, even though I really love God. So I went about it my own way. And then uh, because of the real pain, uh, one particular event in high school where um, I was a late bloomer, you know, I didn't, I wasn't invited to (laughs) to dances. I didn't have a boyfriend until I was way later on. 
and so when I finally started blooming, let's say, like just coming into my own as um, a woman, like a young woman, teenager, and I started getting the attention of boys, uh, these two boys invited me to their Christian youth group. And for me, that was like, wow, it meant that I made it in a lot of ways. Cause like our family was kind of the outcast family. We were the weirdos. My dad was an inventor, an artist, and um, we were just kind of, yeah, outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a late bloomer, like I said. And so when all of a sudden I was seen by these boys who were so, so everything, you know, they're like the captain of the football squad. Like they were they were popular. They were cute. One of them I had a crush on since kindergarten, but they had, he had never noticed me before. And all of a sudden I was being noticed and then invited like, wow, the seat of honor. Like you're inviting me to know your God. Like, wow. Like I felt so special. And then I felt very foolish because those same boys ended up raping me. And, um, I never, like that happened when I was 15 and I never processed that event until I was 30 years old and had a mystical experience with Jesus. But it was, looking back on it now, I would say the damage that was done had more to do with the shame of the aftermath and not having a safe place to process um, than it did the actual event. But it's, I mean, because I wasn't a Christian and I knew they were, I believed the lie that I was somehow at fault, that I was the seductress, that I was too much and caused this to happen and that their God did not love me, that I was not worthy of safety or protection. And so I lived with a lot of shame and I kind of went into a real sense of withdrawing from the world. and. Um, it wasn't until, like I said, I was 30 years old that I began to process that and, and heal that and actually grieve the loss of innocence there. So it's why I'm so passionate about helping women reclaim this space of their sexuality and spirituality and why I'm so passionate about separating women from shame because mm-hmm. I know what shame can steal. I know how much um, light shame can steal from a woman like her power her beauty her goodness can all go into hiding because of this lie so in my own journey of trying to get free because the thing that I wanted more than anything else Brenda was freedom I just felt so um pinned under this darkness but I didn't know how to get out from underneath it and I really wanted um to bridge this gap where there inside there was like some safe place and some beauty and sacredness and possibility and vision I had for what it could mean to be a woman. But it seemed impossible to cross cross that chasm because out there in the world, I didn't feel like I belonged. It felt dangerous to be who I was. I felt shame showing up in my fullness as a woman. And I, you know, so it was learning how to cross that chasm. And so that the insides and the outsides can match that there can be this real integration and alignment that feels like freedom. Like when there is that congruency in our uh, spirituality and sexuality, and we can stand and own all parts of who we are, the shadow and the light, and use it all in service of love, like that feels like thriving to me. That's what I've been after. (laughs) And... um, yeah, there is a lot to unpack there. Um, it must be so wild uh, having lived in so much shame and everything and then just sort of, not casually, but pretty easily go on a podcast and just lay that all out there and be like, this is my trauma. This is what happened. Like, It's incredible to see you're so far on the other side of it and you've made so much peace and so many strides in your life that you're just sitting there telling us this wild story. Thank you for sharing that. I wish so much that I had heard other women's stories when I was 15 and this was happening to me. And uh, I wish so much I had a mentor or I had someone that said, you know, it's okay what you're going through. You are strong. You are resilient. Like you are made. You don't have to, you don't have to be afraid of all the desires and all the uh, power in your heart and I think I felt a lot of fear around like 
how um, alive I felt in some ways, like just really sensual, like really, um, really excited, really just passionate about it. But I just did not know that it was safe to really own that. And so now that I know that it is, like I just want, this is the good news. This is the gospel to me. Like this is, it's safe to be all of who you are and you are loved, you are created. This woman, this woman with all of her desires, or this man with the desires of your heart, it's good. And that was one of the first things that like, I knew my heart was good. Like when I came to know the Lord, and it was through a mystical experience of just this encounter with Jesus that he showed me he was trustworthy, because that was my question, because of all the hurt that I had experienced from Christians not just that it's that traumatic the big t trauma of the rape but also the little t traumas of just the eye rolls and the judgment and the way that the christians at school would look at me or talk about me behind my back like i had i felt like the outcast and i didn't know if um this god was trustworthy with me all of who i am and that he, that i was lovable and accepted and so through this mystical experience Jesus let me know in no uncertain terms that I could trust him. And <laughs> I really want to hear like the specific, the specifics of that um, moment for you, because when you're talking, it's really interesting because I've been researching and listening to more sermons that are about, you know, female submission and they pull out the same Bible verses over and over again, which are, the heart is deceitful above all things that a woman is meant to be quiet and submissive and demure that um, we shouldn't burn with passion. A woman that burns with passion is, you know, despicable to God. So here, just you saying, I feel passion. I feel sensuality. I feel confidence. I want to be who I am is, it's just so devastating to me that that is supposedly the opposite of what God wants us to be. I know that that's all false, that we can't cherry pick these certain verses from the Bible and create an entire doctrine and an entire life around that and actually live fulfilled in our purpose and the women that we're meant to be. Um, And also, by the way, I don't mean to be so gendered, everyone. I want to include everyone in this conversation. I apologize for that. You said I'm so used to speaking to women. Yeah. Angle toward women. But I'm really conscious that your audience is not just women. And I love men. And I love all (laughs) And, yeah, so. Yeah, no, it's okay. No need to apologize. I just want to make sure everyone knows all genders are included in this conversation. And all genders suffer under the thumb of these clobber passages that are really out to harm us at the end of the day and are not reflective of the God that I've experienced. So let's build up to this mystical experience because I'm really curious if your journey begins almost the opposite of what I feel like a lot of us as Christians are exploring right now, which is that you know, am I allowed to meditate? Am I allowed to, you know, sit in quiet stillness and encounter God with yoga practice or, you know, embodiment practices, things that are more of the Eastern philosophy that have been outright demonized to us as Christians. We've been told that, you know, if you do yoga and have your body in certain positions that you could be inviting demons into yourself and, you know, we've really been made to be afraid of this. So first of all, I think it's really interesting that you come from the opposite perspective where you were first raised with these practices. Can you just explain a little bit to me about how you were raised in that way and how you used to practice it as a child and just encounter God? Yeah, I was really raised with no spiritual practice at all. But I was raised with curiosity as a value. My dad is an artist, an inventor, and he loved talking about just the world, the universe, like possibility ideas. And so some of my fondest memories growing up were just sharing a bowl of ice cream and just talking together about the universe and the cosmos. And I just felt like the most wonderful, good just space of possibility. And he really encouraged the mystery. Like there was no 
hard lines. It was just like the beauty of asking the question and entering in and engaging. And that's where I learned to feel the most alive. And interestingly, one of the quotes that really got me thinking when I was in philosophy, I was a philosophy student. Someone said to me, you know, trust those who are seeking, doubt those who tell you they found it. Mm. It was really interesting, especially after I became a Christian and I was like, I found something here, you know, but I really kept that posture of this is like this ongoing inquiry into who God is because truly God is the mystery and there's always more to uncover. And I always felt more comfortable just like being in that space, whether it's that, that blissful, quiet stillness in my own heart or being just in awe of something very beautiful out there in the world, or a moment shared between me and another human being, that it is ineffable, meaning I can't put words to it. And so I think um, growing up, I just knew that curiosity was a value of mine. And um, just that it was like the space of love, really experiencing my own father's love, like my dad, my biological father, his love and his passion for life and being a human being and just being curious. And also that it was safe to ask questions and it was safe to not have the answer. Oh, I love that. I would really encourage anyone in the Christian atmosphere to embrace wonder, like you said, because when you know, that's it. And how can we be so arrogant and insane as to say that we can know something as majestic and unknowable as God? Yes. And I feel like this is like what's so interesting to me about this posture of curiosity and wonder. But then also one of the things that has been the key lesson of my life around trusting myself and that um, I can be an authority, which is like, Wow. Like, cause like I've always had the posture of the student and I love learning and I don't feel like there's any end to the learning. And so what's been harder for me to really step into is this role that I actually am an authority. Like I know myself better than anybody and my relationship with God and how God speaks to me and that intimate that intimate bond is mine and I am an authority on that bond. And so learning how to own that and claim that is what's given me the power to speak out. And it's been a journey. It did not feel safe. It still doesn't feel safe. I'm in this realm where there's fear and trembling all the time, and which I love because it keeps me like this. My fingers are intertwined like BFFs. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Holy Spirit because I don't assume to know. I just take one breadcrumb at a time and then I go back to prayer. I go back to listening. And that's, I believe, how we're meant to live. As soon as we think we know, because we can point to a scripture and that's the end of the story, we we go into autopilot, starting to judge ourselves, starting to judge others. And we start actually being present to really listen, to hear. And so I believe that that space of that posture of really maintaining this super tight relationship with the Holy Spirit, to always be asking, to always be checking in with what feels real and alive and aligned to you. And then listening for where God is in that. Because one of the things that I really heard the Spirit say clearly to me when I was on this path, I just became a Christian and I was really eager to be um, a good student, you know, to not assume I knew everything and to just learn. And so I had been practicing yoga since I was, you know, in my teens because it was something that brought me back to my body and made my body safe again. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel like I knew how to create a sense of space and safety for myself. And so it was a really healing practice as someone who had experienced depression and anxiety for years. So yoga for me was, oh, it was everything. But when I became a Christian and started hearing these, these things about how it's bad and how it's worship, I was like, really took it to a posture of, okay, maybe, maybe I've been wrong. You know, I'm, I'm teachable. I want to learn. And I was really conflicted because I was deciding, do I want to teach this? Because it's been such a powerful practice for me. And I was considering doing a Christian yoga certification. And then I had just read articles about this pastor who was coming out against yoga. And so I was torn. It was an inner conflict and I didn't know what to do. So I did, um, I did what, what I do when I don't know, which is to pray. (laughs) (laughs) 
keep praying and to go to the island and to, um, to really go within. And it was about three days of turmoil of not really hearing anything. And then one day, just out of the blue, I was walking into the elevator in the apartment where we live. And I was, had my daughter at the time, she was in the stroller and just boom, it was, you can trust what lights you up. Just oh. boom, you can trust what lights you up. What oh. lights you up. Yeah, I meant it. So it was like, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Got it. I can trust whatever is in my heart. This thing that's like, boom, I'm alive again. Like, like this sense of like, there's an energy, there is a passion, there is a revival, there is an excitement, there's wonder again, like he's in that. And so that is my barometer. And I keep checking in with him. I keep checking in with myself, but that will always be my barometer because those were his words to me. Oh, that is so beautiful. You can trust what lights you up. That's unbelievable. And again, it's so devastating to me that that is the opposite of the message that so many of us have received. I was never given permission to trust myself from my leaders because you're just supposed to trust the scripture, trust what you're being told. And so many of us as women have been lit up by different things, whether it's a career aspiration or yoga or whatever, being a leader of some type and being told you're wrong because of X, Y, and Z. I think what gave me the freedom to really just go for it, right? To just like trust that I heard the spirit in that. Yeah. Like I had already failed so many times as a woman you know, I, and I put that in quotation marks, but it, you know, that, that sense of failure that I missed the mark, that I was disqualified. Like I knew what it meant to make a mistake and to, to be, um, I don't know. I mean, everything from that experience I had when I was 15 and I mean, I was a party girl. I, you know, lied to my parents. I was in all sorts of sin, you know, (laughs) you know, there was times in my life where I was, you know, dating the bad boys and doing drugs. And I mean, I had lived a life of so many quote unquote wrong, bad choices. And then I ended up, you know, pregnant. I was a single mom. And that was like another whole experience of um, feeling disqualified from my own dreams as the woman that I wanted to be and feeling like I was wearing the scarlet letter, you know, this is like the mark of failure, you know, look, like you're rejected, like you're not, the father doesn't even want you or the child. And so I had experienced failure and being at the bottom and having to pick myself up that I wasn't afraid of it anymore. Like, and I think that's, um, it's one of the, the messages I want to encourage all people to hear that you don't have to be afraid of falling down or making mistakes. It's not the end of the world. Like you can absolutely be found there and loved there and accepted there. Like, and I think we have this, we built, and you can tell me cause you grew up in this culture and I didn't, but there is this like pressure to be perfect. There's the pressure to never fall or make a mistake that um, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I really don't. I think the much more tragic thing would be to live your whole life and never know what it felt like to be alive. Mm. Yeah, I, I always like try or want to make it clear. I still, I definitely have some anger still towards the church. I think just because I see it remaining in some of these messages that, you know, we're speaking out against and trying to just make clear that have been harmful to people for very valid reasons. But at the end of the day, everything was just so beautifully intentioned really. And I think a lot of people in leadership, their intention was just to protect um, youth, especially because I started when I was like 12 years old. It was like, my leaders had been really hurt um, sexually or they'd been hurt by broken relationships, et cetera. And they thought it was better to give us a prescription to not have to fall into any of that. And it is interesting to me because I have found in my life, all of the worst quote mistakes that I've made, like you said, were brought about by just 
courageousness and a fearlessness to be like, I may be wrong. This might not be a good thing or the right thing, quote unquote, for me to do, but I'm going to go for it because it's what I want to do. I've never come out of those experiences, you know, crawling on my hands and knees, broken and bloody, like wishing I hadn't done it. Even if it was a mistake, even if it's something that I did end up feeling was quote wrong, it was just an expansive experience. You always come back from it. If like you said, you have a posture of learning, you have a posture of humility, like I have done the wrong thing or I want to change what I have done and, and move through the world in a different way from moving forward. But yeah, I don't experience regret in those ways because it does just bring so much power and knowing to you as an individual. And I really do this, this power of God, this, this force of love, this like the most powerful thing in all of the universe, love really can take anything and make it beautiful. Yeah. Anything. Like the thing that just, my son just comes to mind, you know, um, I got pregnant. It was like pretty much a one night stand and <laughs> was not married. <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. And, um, funny story, like 12 days before that I was baptized um, at my grandma's church because I just really wanted to like get some God in me. And I was like, might as well be baptized. We can revisit that story. It's a really funny one. But <laughs> 12 days later on Christmas, I got pregnant. Wow. And, um, this boy, this little creature that came into my world, like he was the beginning of so much healing, redemption, like my real life, like me coming home to who I really am, owning it. Because up until that point, I could really escape. I could move towns. I could start again. Um, I was really good at finding all sorts of ways to avoid uh, myself. Mm. And, you know, I was in all sorts of self-sabotage, drugs, alcohol, food addictions, just falling in love with the wrong boys, <laughs> <laughs> all of it. But him, when I became a mother, there was this love that was like, you know what? I didn't know how to love myself enough in order to, um, to really do the inner work that I needed to do. I was willing to live with my own consequences of the bad choices I was making. But because I love my son so much, it's like I am not willing for him to have to sacrifice my bad choices anymore. The, the ones that are hurtful to me, the mm -hmm. ones that are self-sabotaging and dishonoring to my body and soul. Like I want healing for him. I want to become the woman that I'm made to be for him. And so like this situation, right? This is like, oh, this is not what God wanted. Like for you to get pregnant. Like absolutely was used by God. God was in every single moment of it. Mm. And I am so, so grateful for it. And so I can point to all these experiences of the fall, you know, the mistakes that I made, the failures of my morality, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is where I met God. And I met my own resilience. And I learned how to trust myself and trust the voice of God in my life and to keep my ear towards what is love and what is fear and to keep walking if it's blindly but I keep heading in the direction of love even if I'm crawling like literally just I don't even I can't even stand up <laughs> like I know the voice of love and so that good shepherd like I trust that and that's where that's where I find myself and my freedom that's where I find like this is my future <laughs> where there is hope and so yeah I am I do not uh I, yeah, the world that you speak of, <laughs> this uh, this other way of being, uh, having a relationship with Jesus, it seems so foreign to me. And I know that it's, you know, it's, my husband grew up in that way. And many of the women that I coach and my clients and my students, like they grew up in that world. And what I love so much is just being able to mirror for them, to embody for them and to show them it's safe. You can keep your faith and grow mm. in the of who you're made to be. Uh, this is all beautiful, Morgan. I couldn't agree more. I think what's so wonderful about you is that you're always 
stepping out in boldness, doing something that I'm sure that you know in your heart that you intuit is absolutely the right thing to do, to put out a specific post or to put out a specific statement that really rocks people that you know ahead of time is going to be controversial and you do it anyway. But in private conversations, you know, I know that you're doing that with fear included, but you just are like, I'm going to press through this fear. I don't know how this is going to be received, but I know that I have to do it. And first of all, I love seeing the result of that. I love seeing how beautifully it's received, how much it resonates with so many people. It's like every time your heart tells you to do something, I see the reward is that people come out of the woodwork. Women are like screaming, yes, amen. I needed to hear this today. So it's like, I feel the same way, constantly validated by God in my most bold moves, my most scary moves. And I wonder, I'm curious if for you, that courageousness came from the mystical experience that you had initially. I think in a lot of ways it did, because at the end of the day, I know I am loved, even if I'm wrong. Even if I overstep, God forbid I overstep. I I know I'm loved and I know I'm accepted and um, I approve of myself. So one of the other things I heard the spirit say when I began on this path with boldness uh, and part of me is I just really want to be understood. I want people to know my heart really deeply like it's the thing that gets me and my husband like in the the most deepest conversations with me and my friends with me and my family it's like I want you to know my heart and at the end of the day not everyone's gonna understand us Mm. really had to reconcile that with God because it was hurt I was afraid of not being understood and I was afraid of being um perceived the wrong way like how would people see me you know, I really used to worry about that. Yeah. Still, you know, there's still that fear because you don't want to be misunderstood. Like it's really, when it's your soul work, when you're doing something that's really so important to you, you want people to be able to see you and see your heart in it. The reality is not everyone will. And so what I heard the spirit say was seek to serve, not to be understood. That word is, I think, loaded because I think a lot of people from the clients that I work with and coach the women like that the need to serve right is like there's a real pressure to put yourself second yeah but this is not that like this is like I am serving the highest and best in me and through serving the highest and best in me I am serving love I'm serving God and that when I come fully alive like that quote like the the glory of God is man, woman, fully alive. And I really do believe that. And it takes a lot of courage to live that because I think we can ascribe to that in our thoughts. But to embody that is a whole nother level of work and inner work that is so worthwhile, which is why I do the work that I do to help women embody embody their spirituality, embody their sexuality in a way that's aligned that allows them to be in the world as they were made to be, like, which is free, which is self-expressed, which is like giving the world their gifts, right? Yeah. Can I ask you how that really looks like tangibly to do with a woman? How do you help people that are so broken, broken and fragmented become whole again? Yes. And so one is the underlying philosophy that we're already whole and it's this remembering and this returning Mm. so we don't have to strive to get there for me there's been like three core like components to how I've um you know healed transformed uh however you want to put it but one of it is um this being seen by another woman like really being seen by another woman. Like I didn't know how desperately I needed that because mm-hmm. growing up and not being seen, um, I, I grew, I just thought that, you know, no one will be able to see me. 
And so to have a mentor or a coach really see you and speak life into you and to encourage you, someone who has been on the road that you have been and can say with faith, with absolute confidence that you will get there wherever it is you want to go. Like I cannot tell you how important that was to me. Mm. So that one-on-one element of a coach, of a mentor. And then the second piece being the group experience with other safe women where we can mirror for each other and that we can, cause it's not just an inner holding and healing. We actually want to be in the world, be in public in this self-expressed way. And so we need a community to show us that it's safe to be that way. Hmm. Or it's like we just feel safe in our own homes and that's beautiful. And maybe we feel safe in our bedroom and it's better than not feeling safe anywhere. But the real goal is to feel safe and to feel fully expressed out there in the world. And so we actually do need a communal component to that, a safe container, whether it's co-ed or a sisterhood, but that people are there to reflect back to us the truth of who we are and that it's safe that we are accepted. That's actually really important. And then the third key is this live in-person peak experience of like celebration and joy and playfulness that it's not all heavy work. It's not all like this deep, dark, you know, introspection. Like there's a lot of fun and pleasure and playfulness to it. And that is actually what seals it in. That's what actually like informs our nervous system that it's safe that it's okay to thrive. And so these three pieces that have had the most profound impact in my life, which has been one-on-one coaching mentorship, a group experience, and then retreats and travel, I created that for women. So they can experience those three components in 90 days. And then it can, so like, this is the thing, I, I believe in slowing down and I love sensuality, except in one area of life, like where you need to get there as fast as you can. And that <laughs> to freedom. Like there's no need to wait 10 years or to wait your whole life under that shame, under that weight of not knowing who you really are, what you're made for. And so I wanted to create something for women that would get them to the other side, to get them out from feeling stuck in the most powerful, transformative way. And so I just took from my own life what has absolutely been key components in my process. I love that so much. I get too dark and heavy too sometimes. I get so heady and like mm-hmm. melancholy. And I always forget that if God is the creator of everything, that's also that also implies that he's the creator of dance and joy and pleasure and happiness. There's a quote that I love so much that says, if you want to heal anything, go play. I don't know who said it, but I just loved it. And one of my mentors taught me that if you can make it fun enough, pleasurable enough, you can have anything that you want, which is like, what, what? The thing is like, what keeps us from really going for things, whether it's our dreams or our desires, is there, is there a part of us that does not feel like it's safe for us to have it? That if a woman really was like as sexually alive or sensually expressive and confident as she really felt she was in her authentic soul, that she would no longer belong in the church, in her family, you know, in her friend group. So we need to create new levels of safety to thrive in these bigger ways. And what the way we do that is through fun and pleasure and playfulness. How do you think people could identify in their own lives when they're in a dangerous space around people versus when they're around safe people? Because I think that's almost a hard distinction to make when you're in a community or when you're used to being treated a certain way or being talked to a certain way. I think you're right. Like that is such a hard discerning thing. This is why we all need a spiritual practice that's about going within and listening. Some form of contemplation, prayer, meditation, where we really hone in on the sound of the good shepherd for us. Mm. How does God speak to us? Because I know just by the time I've spent in the church, in the, you know, there was 10 years that I spent in the evangelical church. And there was this thing that there's an authority over you. You know, and there was, and I've had too many experiences of spiritual mentors manipulating me spiritually or really casting just 
doubt that I was hearing from God. And so it's really crucial for people to have a life with God that's their own. I believe in community and I really would love to find a church where I felt like it was safe for all of me to belong. I'm still on the hunt, Brenda. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I uh, have found community in other ways, uh, but it's really been a process of this. There is a barometer inside that's like this, there's something off about this. And for me, I feel it in my solar plexus when I start feeling this hollowing out or emptying, almost like there's a ringing in my ears. Like I realize they don't see me. They cannot hear me. And they're yet they're giving me advice as if they know me. And so I'm so grateful for the time I've invested in my own spiritual practices, like the breath work, the prayer, the, I mean, there's so many forms of ways to start learning how to listen. Mm. You do need to know how to discern and it's not always clear and it's not always easy and we have to keep asking. And I mean, I'm so grateful that I do have some safe people in my life that really do know me that I can bounce ideas and processes with. For me, owning that I am an authority has been, like I said, a huge life lesson. I'm 40 now. And there was something freeing that came with that being like, yes, I can own myself as a woman. (laughs) Yes, I'm an adult now. I am a full grown ass woman. (laughs) There is an empowering piece to that. And I I only wish I had, um, well, actually, I don't know. I was going to say, I only wish I had arrived at that confidence and that authority earlier, but I think it's perfect timing. And I think that it's the both and, because I think it's really beautiful to have a soft heart and be really open to learning and to be, to not assume that we know the best way. Like my whole life, I hope that I just walk that line and stay really close to just being super humble and super open. And then also know when to be fierce, know when to like, grind ground in like I anchor myself in here this is what I believe and this is who I am very powerful I'm trying to think of when I first realized I was allowed or permitted to believe that God was talking to me on my own I mean no one gave me that permission because they give you the opposite. They cast doubt on you. I really can't remember. I think it just came from a slow process for me. There wasn't one moment where I was like, this is it. I think the beginning of that journey for me was definitely completely separating myself from church. And that was when I would say I swung the pendulum all the way to the other side, being really promiscuous, experimenting with all kinds of things. And that would be a space where I would say, oh, I was messing up, sinning, etc. But really, I think I needed to go that extreme to be able to recalibrate and realize that I'm allowed to be, I'm allowed to believe that I'm hearing from God on my own. And it was only in those moments of complete separation from people that I was able to begin honing in on that voice is what I want to say is the most practical advice is how important it is to in this day and age especially when we are constantly being distracted our mind is somewhere else almost all the time is to come back to our bodies to come back to our presence which means actually like this solitude of Closing out the rest of the world, whether it's for 20 minutes every day or, you know, good chunks of like a month at a time, taking a digital Sabbath, which I regularly do, which I just delete all the social media apps from my phone and take a month off to just go into the quiet spaces. We need this. We can't go without it. I really believe that the most powerful thing about a woman, like her ministry, whether or not she's like a Christian or not, calls herself labels that every woman has a ministry and her ministry is her presence. Her power is her presence. Like the thing that precedes her, the thing is just like, it's the energy when she walks into a room and that is either going to create freedom for others. It's going to be this ripple effect of love that allows others to step more 
confidently into who God created them to be because they feel accepted. They feel loved. They feel like there's permission in your presence. Like every woman, her presence is so precious. It's so important. And how we cultivate that is this spiritual discipline of solitude. If some form of learning how to get quiet, of honoring that stillness, of going within, of listening to our own bodies and the way that God is speaking to us. Like it's absolutely crucial in our world today. And it's only going to become more crucial. Why do you say that? Well, just technology and the way that um, it's so, it's so challenging for me even. And I know the importance of this solitude, this, this stillness, this, sacredness like I am my my daughter sees me I'm working on my phone almost all day long yeah that connection to a device and the way that it is like this um we're a part of this like um very ungrounded world and there's a, a lot of benefit and beauty and there's fruit that comes from it but at the end of the day we need to know what it feels like to just be in the moment and to be in our bodies to to check in with our bodies and, and so it's, it's not, I mean, all of the mystics, they had a very, very disciplined practice of going within, of learning how to listen. Jesus himself did the same thing. And so if Jesus needed it, <laughs> I think we need it, especially now when we have like constant access to Netflix and social media and all the things. And so um, it's just, I'm reminded of the simple things again and again and again, like the Sabbath and, and how we honor that in our own ways, but just like the gift of the Sabbath, the gift of what it means to disconnect from the rest of the world and to regularly have this like place of refuge where we just get to be oh, in the stillness and the quiet. In the, <laughs> it's just so life giving. And then um, it's, it, yeah. It's so life-giving and necessary. You're just beautifully articulating everything that's been coming to me over the year. Mm-hmm. And just actually in meditation last night, and I always clarify meditation doesn't mean you're completely abandoning your Christian practice. Like I invite Jesus to be there with me, Yahweh to be there with me while I meditate. That's who I'm channeling and, and tuning into. But I was thinking of that um, C.S. Lewis was speaking about just living in the presence, how God doesn't reside in the past or the future because the past is already gone. It's just like the way you perceived it from your memory. The future exists even less because it's just your assumptions or desires or fears that you're projecting. And God is just with us in this very moment. And that's it. So if you think about presence, the person sitting like with you in a room or at a dinner table with you or across from you is the most important person in the entire world because that is the only place that God is residing with you and me having this conversation with all of you listening right now. And it's, yeah, just you've articulated it way more beautifully than I have, but I love that all of us as a collective are coming to these conclusions and realizations together as a whole and imagining the more and more people that realize the power of presence and giving each other our undivided attention and living in our own fullness. So we are completely full overflowing with things to give to others. If we were all in that space together, how beautiful it would be in that community. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, there's so much goodness to be felt and it's so easily accessible when we learn. It doesn't cost anything. You know, it's just right here, always available to us. The kingdom, the kingdom of God, that space of presence with each other, of love. And I'll never forget a woman that she said this and it's become a mantra for my life. It's like, yes, this resonates so deeply. It's like, this is like, in some ways, like the North, how I tell true North. And she said, um, all love begins in the act of paying attention. Mm. It was like, we are in yoga class and she was 
just, you know, we, it was like an LA fitness yoga class. It wasn't even like some, some <laughs> fancy yoga studio, but she was, she was a woman in her sixties. She had lived her life. She had this embodied wisdom mm. and the way she said it was so, it resonated with me so deeply because I know she lived it. And that's the thing when we, um, when we begin to really just embody what we know, like the wisdom is that it, it becomes our message that precedes us. Like we don't have to hammer it in. It becomes who we are. It's in our vibration. It's in our energy. And so as women, as we mature, as we grow older, this is our calling to embody what we know, this wisdom, whether we, it's like this, every, like all this wisdom is like a remembering of some form. But when she said that all love begins in the act of paying attention, I know now how to find my way home. So in my relationship with my kids, when things get off, we go off the rails and we're, we're, we're yelling at each other and we're just, we're all so stressed out. <laughs> I know that the answer is to slow down and to start paying attention to them. And then that's when love breaks in. It's that moment. And now it's the presence. We have to get to the end and wrap up, but <laughs> have any final thoughts? You've imparted so much wisdom. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I feel like I was just basking in your childlike faith really all that joy and excitement is contagious i do have a childlike faith you do (laughs) i love it (laughs) Um, i think to all who are listening is i just want to say that you are so loved and you are worthy of trusting yourself you're worthy of that journey of learning how to trust yourself and to really trust what lights you up to know that God is in what lights you up, what brings you joy, what come, makes you come alive. Like that is a worthwhile journey to take. And so I, I pray that this hour has given you the boldness to step forward in that direction, that you will say, yes, today, I'm going to trust what lights me up and see where that brings me and dare to believe that God is in it. God mm. is in the things that light me up. Oh. Gorgeous. Yes. Yes. And amen. Yes. And amen. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Morgan. Where can everyone find you? You can find me Morgan Day Cecil on Instagram and um, the web morgandaycecil.com. We're mirroring each other right now. We are. Isn't it though? This is so powerful. The mirror neurons, Brenda, like I'm a big fan of neuroscience. (laughs) But like, this is what happens when women are together and just mammals, actually. We just start like picking up on each other's mannerisms. That's so sweet. (laughs) Another reason why our presence as women matters so much is our ministry, because we are constantly ministering to each other. For anyone that was just listening on the podcast, we just happen to be doing the same exact little hand gesture on our faces. Well, that's it. I'm so grateful to everyone that made it through this conversation. I'm sure that it edified you and just walk in that confidence that Morgan has imparted to us. I see fruit in her life. It is thriving and growing. You can see it in her joy and her confidence and the peace that she's bringing forth with it. So you can have the same thing. You don't just have to look up to someone like her. She is saying that you can have it too. And I absolutely, yes and amen, that truth. So that's it. We love you all so much. God bless.